How many of you are um, what we would call control freaks? You like, to, you like to make sure that circumstances in your life flow the way you want them to. You want people in your life to behave the way you want them to. Well, let me ask you a different question. How many of you are married to a control freak? Okay. A lot more hands go up when I ask that question because we know in our lives that we like to make sure everything goes the way that we, um, we want them to because it's very predictable that way. But I want to tell you that when you walk with the Lord, you have to have flexibility because God shakes it up and he wants you to know that ultimately he's the one in control. Like two months ago when the elders gave approval for me to go to Myanmar, I decided I want to take a couple guys with me to, to help with some teaching and to experience this mission um, adventure. And so I began to line up all the airline tickets and find the bargains and find a place to park the car in Denver while we're gone. And, and we had to take a shuttle from a big airport in Bangkok to a smaller domestic air, airport to get our flight into Myanmar. And all these things were, were coming together. And, and it looked like our trip was all lined up perfectly when we got ready to leave on Thursday, January 31st. I picked up the guys early in the morning. We drove to Denver, made good time there, pulled into Quality Inn and Suites because uh, I don't know if you know this, you can park sometimes at hotels hotels for much cheaper, so it was $4 a day to park. And so I pulled in there, and they have a sign-up sheet just to check in and leave your vehicle. And when the lady asked me for my name, she says, you're not on our list. And I says, well, here on my phone is my reservation. She says, you're at a different quality in and suites. You're at the one that's back about 10 minutes down the road. And so we, we, I said, oh, great, glad we're here early. We got in the car, drove back to the other place, parked the car, got to the airport just about two hours before our flight, Got checked in, everything was smooth, Took our, got on the airplane from Denver to Tokyo, and we would catch a plane, we had an hour layover there to get on our plane from Tokyo to Bangkok in order to get there by um, midnight, because that's when the last shuttle leaves to go from the, the big airport to the smaller airport. And our, our original flight was due to get in an hour before, so we said there, there should be enough time to make that. So while we're flying into Tokyo, the pilot says, hey, there's been a, um, a mishap on the runway. They're only, they only have one landing strip right now, and so we are plane number 24 waiting to land. And so he says, we're just going to um, kill some time here while we're waiting. And so we're flying around for about an hour, and he says, if, if it doesn't clear soon, we're going to have to land at another airport to refuel. I said, oh, we can't do that. We'll miss our other flight. And finally, it breaks through to where we do get to land the plane. We are an hour late. We rush out of the plane to get to, to see the status of our next flight. And lo and behold, it's been delayed an hour because there was a medical um, emergency on the plane. And they were cleaning the plane up and needed that extra time. So we made the next uh, plane. We got into Bangkok, though, later than expected. Um, it was now 1130 when we arrived. We got our luggage, rushed through customs and the passport control, got outside, and, and caught our shuttle at 11.55. And so made the shuttle that, that takes us to the smaller airport. And we just saw God working, not quite our plans, but he got us to the place we needed to be at the right time. Well, on the way home, we were supposed to fly out at 11.30 from this city we were in called Michina. From 11.30 in the morning, fly to Yangon, which is the big city on the south part of, of Myanmar, to catch our flight back to Bangkok, to go to Tokyo, to Denver. And so Thursday night, one of the, a gentleman at the conference says, hey, um, my flight is delayed on Saturday, and I think you're on the same flight. And we said, we are? He said, yeah, it's, it's now leaving at 6 o'clock at night, not 11.30 in the morning. And we were told that sometimes the government there does strange things. They'll just take over planes because they, the military needs them, and with no explanation, they'll, they'll change the airline schedule. 
And I said, well, that's not going to work because our flight leaves Yangon at 6 in the evening. If we're not leaving here till 6, there's no way we can make that flight by 6, which means we can't get to Bangkok in time to make our flights there to get back to the United States. So this is a big problem. So I said, can we, can we leave Friday the day before? And they said, no, they've actually shut down all flights on Friday. I said, oh, can someone drive us to Yangon? They said, well, it's 700 and some miles. But you can take a bus. And if you leave Friday morning, there's a bus that leaves at 11 o'clock, and it'll get you there by noon on Saturday. So we got on a bus and drove 25 hours through the night to get to that city to make our 6 o'clock flight the next night. Now, here's the beautiful part about that. Even though it was a long ride, had that gentleman not gotten that text that said, that said the flight had been delayed, we never would have known because my phone was shut off, uh, my cell service was shut off overseas. We never got the notification of the delay. And when I called our travel company that we booked our flight through, they didn't even know about it. And so we would have shown up at the airport on Saturday to catch our morning flight and discovered that it had been delayed and there would have been no way to make our connections back here. We would have had to buy all new tickets to get back. And so just, just it reminded us that you've got to be flexible. Uh, you know, the book of Proverbs says that a man devises his plans, but the Lord directs his steps. And you have to be flexible with the Lord. It does not go well for control freaks. So Walking with the Lord really should be parasailing with the Lord because your feet are off the ground, you're dangling, and you're going to where the wind blows. But I have to tell you, parasailing with the Lord's a beautiful thing because he takes you to places that, you've, that you'd never think of going on your own. And God took us to beautiful places. We had incredible experience. See, what God's trying to do with us, and he's trying to do all of us, I believe, is to develop a deeper relationship with him. And God orchestrates events in our lives to cause that to happen, to deepen a relationship with him. And we see that in the life of this character named Jacob. Now, last week, Pastor Sam introduced him to you. And by the way, I'm so appreciative of Pastor Sam. He just, he's really growing and preaching God's word and with great enthusiasm. And this weekend, he's actually... Um, honoring his wife for their 15th anniversary. So they're off this weekend, and I'm, I'm so glad that they're doing that. But give Pastor Sam a lot of thanks for, for stepping in when I'm away. And uh, Jacob was a man who, from the time he was born, was a grabber. In fact, his name means supplanter or cheater. He was, he was grasping his brother Esau's heel when he came out of the womb. And then through his life, he's always grabbing for something. He's always after something. So when the opportunity comes to seize his brother's birthright, uh, he does for, for a bowl of soup. And then when, when his dad is old and he wants to bless his son and pass the blessing on to his oldest son, he, along with his mother, Rebecca, connived to have him pretend he's Esau and go in and get his father's blessing. And because of that, Esau wants to kill Jacob. So Jacob flees, goes northeast to um, his uncle's, uncle Laban's farm and begins to work on the farm. He's such a good worker that Laban says, you know, I'll pay you whatever you want. You're such a good worker. He says, well, what I really want is not a paycheck. I want your daughter, Rachel. He says, I will work seven years to earn her. He says, it's a deal. So after seven years, he's due to marry Rachel. They have a great feast, a celebration. And then that night to consummate the marriage, he goes into his tent and, and just think of this. Middle East, there's no electricity, there's no lights, and it's dark in the tent and it doesn't matter to Jacob because he, he doesn't need to see a whole lot. This is, this is Braille this night. And so he's waiting by the, in the tent, and, 
and the woman comes in and lays with him, and they consummate the marriage, and it's just so beautiful until he wakes up the next morning and realizes it wasn't Rachel laying next to him. It's, it's her older sister's kind of homely-looking gal named Leah. And he goes, what did you do, Laban? You tricked me. He goes, I know, but it's customary that we marry off the oldest sister first. So you can have Rachel if you commit to seven more years of labor. So he does. And so he allows him to marry Rachel. And over the next seven years, they have a whole ton of kids. I mean, Leah has four children pretty quickly, but Rachel uh, is barren. She can't have any. And so Rachel says, well, maybe God won't open my womb. So take my maidservant and lay with her, and then her babies will be mine. And so her maidservant has two children. Leah says, because she's getting older and feels like she's losing her reproductive uh, ability, she says, well, then take my maidservant, and you have kids with her. So she quickly has two more. So he has eight sons already. And then Leah prays for God to open her ability again, and she has three more kids. And then finally, Rachel's prayer is answered, and she has a son, and they name him Joseph. So, so Jacob has this big family and says, to Laban, you know, I need to leave because I've got this big family. I've got a lot, a lot of animals. I need to go establish my own household. He says, but Jacob, you know what? You've been so good here, and I've been blessed by having you work with me. Would you please stay? So Jacob stays, and they come up with this weird arrangement where Jacob gets some flocks, and of the, the, the sheep and the goats that he raises, certain ones will be identified as belonging to Laban, and certain ones he will keep. But Laban tricks him to where this will work to Laban's advantage. He'll get the better ones. But then Jacob turns it back over on Laban and arranges it so he actually gets the stronger of the breed. The stronger animals that are born, Laban gets the weaker ones. And so Jacob accumulates all kinds of sheep and goats. And finally, God comes to him and says, you know what? It's time to go. Because Laban's attitude is changing toward him. And Laban's sons are actually getting a little jealous thinking that Jacob is taking some of their inheritance. And so we start our story and we learn the different ways that God works in Jacob's life to grow his relationship with him. And so I want to take you to chapter, 30, uh, chapter 31, verses 1 through 3. It says, Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's he has gained all his wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. And then the Lord said to Jacob, <clears throat> return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. Jacob had wanted to go once before, but Laban persuaded him to say, this time God tells Jacob, you need to go. Because you need to get back to Canaan, the promised land, the land I promised to your grandfather Abraham, the land I said would be filled with, with multiple children. That is the land you need to be in. So it's time for you to go back. But see, there's a problem. Jacob knows that Esau lives there. And Esau, last count, wanted to kill him. So he's not real eager to go, but because God's wanting to disrupt his life at this point and says, you know, I blessed you here. I blessed you plenty here. But my next blessing will be down there. And I find that sometimes in our lives that God says, you know, I've blessed you where you are, but my next blessing will be in another place. And I remember that in my life when I was a children's pastor at a church in Arizona. Over 10 years, God blessed our ministry in a great way. But, but toward the end of that, I just felt like God was saying, okay, it's time to move. It's time for a shift in your life. And I could see that not as many things were happening in that ministry and that God was whispering, it's time to move. It's time for a change. And God opened a door to come to Colorado Springs. And we've been here for 23 and a half years. And I, I don't know, there may become a time where God says, okay, now there's 
time the blessing is in another place. See, God oftentimes will disrupt our lives to get us into a position where his blessing will flow. And so we see that in the early church. The disciples are told to, to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. They do very well in Jerusalem. But they stay there for about 10 years, and they won't go outside of that. And so after the death of Stephen, when he's stoned, God allows a persecution to come, and that persecution actually pushes the believers out into the areas God wants them to go in. Listen to this, Acts chapter 8. And there arose on the day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. It was was as if God said, you know what, you guys won't get to those areas where I'm wanting to send you. I'm going to allow this persecution to come and force you to go out there. I need believers there because I love those people in Samaria and Judea and the ends of the earth. And so if it's going to take a persecution, a disruption of that magnitude to get them there, I will allow it, allow it to happen. And I think God allows situations in our lives to happen simply to shift us, to move us in another place. I've asked Troy to come up here. Uh, Troy Nab was on our trip with us, and uh, this was kind of a disruption in his life. But uh, it was a disruption that led him to a place of blessing. And so I've asked Troy if you'd just share a little bit of his experience of how God did that in his life. Well, good morning, Troy. Good morning. Third time. Good morning. Third time. All right. So last time I wore this up here and I didn't tell what it was because, you know, you get up here and you get nervous or whatever. So this is a typical Rowan. Um, Yes, it's Burmese, but Rowan is a people group in Burma um, or Myanmar, sorry. Um, And so it's just a woven bag that men carry. So it's a man bag. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So in the beginning of the week, Pastor had asked, You know, Troy, just share a little bit about the trip and how God positioned you um, for the trip. And I'm I'm thinking, you know, okay, God, what what did you do? What what happened in this? How did you bring me to this point? And I think the positioning and as far as God moving started way before this trip was even thought of um, by us. Um, And it goes way back to uh, Pastor Darren, you know, just inviting myself and other men here in the church to participate in different things here in the church. Um, hey, Troy, there's gonna, we're going to do a leadership program, um, 6 a.m. Saturday mornings for six weeks. What do you think? Okay. And then, you know, leadership, there's going to be a leadership conference. I have an extra ticket for one day. You want to come with? Okay, that'd be great. And I learned a long time ago as a youth that if the pastor invites you to do something, you don't say no. Hey, that's a, gr- that's a, really, that's a really great principle. <laughs> I like that. that. That you say yes and that you do, you know, because he's been around a while. He kind of is a judge of character. He kind of knows, right? So you do. And uh, so in thinking about positioning, you know, so I think the positioning started way, way back. Uh, Pastor Darren, then when he got back from his trip from Thailand, said, hey, let's go do this pastor's conference. I want to invite you to go. And I was like, okay, I'll go, I'll go. And then he says, oh, yeah, we're going to leave in eight weeks, and I want you to have three different messages prepared, and you're going to share with me. And it's like, uh, okay, I thought I was going to be backup. And, uh, and so here we are. Uh, we're, we're over there um, right away. They want to get to know us. And some of the first things we say or we hear is, hey, we're just blessed that you came. And then we keep hearing it over and over. Oh, we're just glad that you came. We're happy that you're here. And in my mind, I'm like, well, who am I? 
you know, who are we that, that they would even see anything special in us or we're just guys. But there had been groups in years past that had said, hey, we're, we're going to come. We're going to come do this with you guys. We're going to come stand beside you and believe God with you. And we'll, we'll be there. And you know what? None of them ever showed up. And that was kind of heartbreaking to hear that we were the first group of guys that said, yes, we'll come. And yes, we went. And it was just a blessing to me to see that the hunger that they have for Christ, just hearing a different word, something taught differently that would build them up. And so it was just, it was an awesome time. It was, a, it was just a blessing to my own heart, my own life, to see that, man, God worship, people, people worship God on the other side of the earth, and God is alive. And so thank you guys for all your prayer support. Um, obviously, without God, we wouldn't probably be here yet, maybe. <laughs> so God is good. And just thank you so much just for, for all the prayer covering. Thank you, Troy. Sometimes God wants to bless you in the going, and, and oftentimes he wants to bless others in your going. And that's where we felt like we were blessed, but, but God wanted to bless others through us. And, and he wants to move you sometimes from where you are. It might be a position, uh, you know, like a job. It could be a physical position, your, your city, your location. He wants to move you into a position where he will bless you. And his blessing follows Jacob as he goes because we, we find out in chapter 32 Um, Verses 1 and 2, Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. And so he called the name of that place Mahanaim. You know, Jacob Jacob is realizing God really is with me. And this is his second experience of, of multiple angels. You might remember the time when he saw the stairway that went to heaven, and angels were coming down and going up on it. And and then he wrote a song that he gave to Eric Clapton all about this stairway to heaven. And... (laughs) So he called that place Bethel, which means house of God. And this time he calls this place Mahadam, which means uh, God's camp. And this camp is not a house. It's a movement. It's like a military uh, group that is following him in his journey. It's an assurance to Jacob that God indeed is with you. Because, of course, he's still afraid. In fact, he's so afraid that he divides his family and his animals into two groups. He, he, he determines that if Esau is angry and comes at them, he'll attack one and the other can flee. So at least half of what I have, half of my family, half of my animals can be spared. And he still wants to cover all his bases, so he offers to God this prayer. We find it in, in verses 9 through 12. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac. Now, just notice that. He's saying, you know the God my grandpa worshipped and, and the God my dad worshipped? I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. And he said, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you've shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed the Jordan and now I've become two camps. In other words, I, I went to Laban with, with nothing on my back and I'm coming back now with so much that I can divide it into two huge groups. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me and the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So God, I'm afraid, but I'm holding you to your promise. You made a promise that you would bring me to this place and you'd multiply my offspring. So even though I'm overcome with this fear, I believe that your promise is true. 
And then we find God taking him to a place where I believe is, is maybe one of the greatest stories of Scripture, where he lovingly challenges Jacob to, to make him into the person that he, that he can use. And God will do that with you and me. He will lovingly challenge us to become the people he can use. It's one thing to get shipped to the place you need to be. It's a whole other thing to be shaped to be the person you need to be. And both are critical. You need to be in the right place, but you need to be the right person. Because if you're in the right place and you're, you're not allowing God to shape your heart, you can cause a lot of damage. You can, you know, some people become pastors thinking, okay, I'm now a pastor, I'm now a church leader, I'm now an elder, I'm now in the, I now lead a small group, I'm now in the position that God's been wanting me to be in. But your attitude stinks, and your heart's bad, and you cause all kind of damage. You need to become the right person in the right place. You know, I see this in marriages where God may bring you the right spouse and says, that's the mate for you. Yet if you aren't careful and if you don't allow the Holy Spirit to shape your heart, you can do a lot of wounding to your spouse. And so we need to be in the right place, but we also need to be the right person. And so God does something pretty amazing to shape the heart and the will of this man. Here's the story. It's in chapter 32, starting with verse 22. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and set them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the break of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, Let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me uh, your name. And he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Jacob believes he is wrestling with God. And you see that in the fact that he asked this, this person to bless him. And we see it in the fact that that he names this place Peniel. Peniel meaning, I've seen the face of God. Every time you see the the little letters E-L-L, that's that's for Elohim, God. So you have Peniel, you have Bethel, uh, Emmanuel, uh, Ishmael. All these L's are references to God. And so he believes he's wrestling with God. And you may wonder, well, how can can he wrestle with God? Because God's so big and this guy's a man. Well, it shouldn't surprise you that God could take the form of a man because Jesus did that. The the infinite God took the form of a baby that grew up as a boy and became a man and looked just like a man, ate food like a man, walked like a man, got tired like a man, but it was fully God. And so in the Old Testament, we see these um, moments where it's as if Jesus, the the invisible, um, awesome God, takes on the form of a human in a body. And these are called theophanies or Christophanies, an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament, the word of God taking on flesh temporarily. And so when Abraham sees these three people walking toward him, he, re- he realizes they are angels, and he calls one of them the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord, when you, when you read scriptures that talk about that, that angel is worshipped as God. That angel is referred to as God because it is God in human form. And we see this when uh, Joshua goes into the promised land. He sees this commander of the armies of God. And he tells Joshua, take off your shoes for you're standing on holy ground. He realizes he's in the presence of God who's taken on the form of a man. 
We see this in uh, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. They're in the fiery furnace, and the king looks in and he says, hey, we threw three in there, but there's four guys walking around in the furnace. Who's the fourth one that looks like a son of God? Well, could that be Jesus walking among them? See, we don't know exactly for sure, but, but the conclusion of many is these are the appearances of Christ. And so this person wrestling with Jacob is God. And God's wrestling. Now you think that, well, if God's wrestling with them, how come this fight goes on all night long? I mean, God could pin him in a second. He could. But that's not his purpose. His purpose isn't to crush Jacob. It's to develop something within Jacob. See, I see this when I wrestle with my grandson. I love to wrestle with, with, with little kids, like my grandson. I can't wait till the newest guy gets a little older so I can wrestle with him. And you know what? I'm much bigger, stronger. I could crush my grandson. That's not my intent. I wrestle with him not to show him how strong I am, but to show him how strong he is. I wrestle with him, and he pushes his feet up against my chest, and he'll hold me up, and then I'll collapse over him, and I won't hurt him, but I'll have him pick me up again, and I want to see his muscles. I want to see him fight, and I believe that sometimes God says, I want to wrestle with you. And like Jacob said, Jacob, your whole life you've been fighting me. Your whole life you've been running from me. If you want to fight with me, here I am. Let's go at it. And he's not, trying, he's not throwing punches. He's very close because he wants to wrestle. There is something that's very uh, affectionate about wrestling. And he's wrestling with Jacob. He's not hurting Jacob. He's wrestling with them because he wants to be close to him. And so he's wrestling with Jacob through the night. And I think God is actually kind of impressed. Like, man, this guy's got a lot of fight in him because they, they, they wrestle all night long. Now, I don't know if you've ever wrestled, but I've done a lot of sports. Cross country was pretty rough because you're constantly running, 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 mile after mile. But I would say that wrestling was the hardest sport I've ever participated in. You cannot relax during wrestling. You are expending such amounts of energy constantly that if you ease up too much, you get thrown to the mat and get defeated. So Jacob is pushing against God, and he's pushing God, saying, man, you got a lot of fight in you, because he's trying to grow him up to be a man. He's trying to tell Jacob, Jacob, I want to see what's in you. I want to see what's deep inside of you. It's time for a big change in your life. And so Jacob says, I'm not going to let you go till you, till you bless me. And and God says, what, what's your name? God knows his name. It's not like God's dumb. God says, I, I, know, I know exactly who you are because I came picking the fight with you. By the way, that's a key thing. Jacob didn't come seeking a fight with God. God showed up at his tent. And I think so often we think whenever I'm going through these difficult challenges, our immediate response is, oh, Satan's trying to mess up my life. It's Satan trying to just cause all this trouble. It might be that God's saying, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm pushing you. I'm saying, buddy, sister, let's go at it. I want to wrestle with you. I need some time with you. Because God wants to deal with some issues within us. And so Jacob won't let go until he gets blessed. And so he says, what's your name? He says, Jacob. I believe he's wanting Jacob to think about the name. The name Jacob means deceiver, cheater, conniver, manipulator. He says, yeah, no longer. You're no longer going to be Jacob. As of this moment, you are now Israel. There's the L again. Israel, because you have striven with God and men and have prevailed. And so from that moment on, Jacob's life was changed. He now was known as Israel. His people became known as the nation of Israel. The land they lived in was called the land of Israel. It became a profound moment in his life. 
this moment that he wrestled with God. And God did something that night that was real interesting. He kind of wrenched his hip. And from that day forward, Jacob walked with a limp. I wonder, why would God do that? I think there's a really good reason why God would do that. I believe it was because he wanted Jacob to remember who's got the power. Jacob, just so you know that you aren't stronger than me, and for the rest of your life, you're going to walk, and, and you're going to remember, God could have crushed me with his, with his finger, and he didn't. But God lovingly wrestled with me to bring a transformation in my heart. And I imagine as the days went forward, as Jacob lived with this limp, that people would say, what happened to you? Or, Dad, why are you walking that way? Or years later, Grandpa, why do you, why do you have that walking stick? And I think Jacob would get a smile on his face and go, oh, have I got a story to tell you. <laughs> a night when I was so afraid, and God met me in the tent, and we wrestled all night long. And he would remember that with affection, that this was God's, God's sign to him. That wasn't a dream you had last night. It was very real. And I was there with you in your darkest moment. And I want you to know I will always be with you. It was a profound moment in Jacob's life. And something changed. Jacob discovered something that was very beautiful because this was the, the other part of what Jacob needed to grow in is he needed to know that the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, was his God. And God gave him a reason to worship him now as his Lord. See, Jacob's going forward, and Jacob, Jacob has this limp. And it says later in chapter 33, Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Paddan Aram, and he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. And there he erected an altar and called it El Elohi Israel. Triple L. Triple L. God's all over this place. And this is the first time Jacob has ever built an altar. He's, he's put up pillars before. Remember, Abraham built many altars. Altars were places where we don't know what they look like, but it's probably a stone structure where they would call on the name of the Lord. It was a place of prayer. And Jacob finally, for the first time, builds his own altar and calls on the name of the Lord. And here's what's happened. The God of Abraham and the God of Isaac was now his God. And this is so important because many of us in this room have a faith that, that has been so amazing. We have encountered God in a way that has changed our lives. And we want so desperately for our kids to experience that. We want so desperately for our grandkids to know the God we know. But I want to tell you that they will not know God like you do unless they experience God like you did. They have to go through their night of wrestling with God. They have to go through their own experiences where they say, oh my goodness, the God we sing about at church, the God the pastor talks about, the God that Matt gets so excited about, the God that my parents love, he's now my God. And, and Jacob no longer says the God of Abraham and Isaac, he's the God of Jacob. He's my God too. And so when we come to the book of Hebrews and there's this list of, of all these people and their exploits of faith, Jacob is listed there. And listen to this, Hebrews eleven twenty one. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph bowing in worship over the head of his staff. And I just picture this old man. He's got his walking stick. 
And he's praying and he's leaning on it and praying over his kids and his grandkids. But he's bowed saying, thank you, God. Thank you, God. And just like I'm leaning on this stick right now, I've learned to lean on you the rest of my life. See, he finally had a reason to worship. See, some of you have come to church and you see what other people experience. You go, man, that's nice for them, but that's not what I've experienced. And God wants you to have your own experience that will draw you to a place of deep, reverent worship. And I just want to tell you, often that comes through a night of wrestling with God. Some of you need to go home today and find a place all by yourself to turn off the distractions, get away from the family, and duke it out with God. There are times when I've wrestled with God over sermons, over decisions. I said, God, I will not leave until you bless me. I will not leave until you give me something. And God's waiting for you to say, do you really want it? Do you really want my blessing? Are you willing to fight for it? Are you willing to stay there? In the book of Colossians chapter 4, it says Epaphras is always wrestling for you in prayer. And we assume that he's wrestling with the devil. I, I contend he may be wrestling with God. He may be wrestling for a blessing for you from God. And some of you need to stand up and be a woman, be a man, and go to the mat with God. Not to fight against God, but to fight with God for something better. Because God, God sees within you in Israel. God sees within you who he made you to be. And sometimes it's only through the fighting, through the wrestling that it comes out. It's like a baby chick in a, in a shell. You watch that chick and it's struggling to get out of the shell. God's saying, there's a beautiful you in there that needs to come out. But it's only going to come out through the struggle. And so you may be in a season right now that you're struggling, that you're wrestling, and you may think, you know, why am I going through this? And God says, because I want to bring out something beautiful that's within you. I see it, and you don't yet, but it's there. And so we're going to sing a song, a song that we sung before. But some of you are going to sing this song from, your, from personal experience. And it's going, to, it's going to mean something different to you than it's meant before because of that experience. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder. Show me who you are and fill me with your heart. And lead me in love to those around you. Today could be a very significant day for you. Because when, when I wrestle with my grandson, after the wrestling comes the resting. There's a time where you just surrender and say, God, I'm done. I'm so tired. I'm so worn out. And God says, now you're surrendered. Now I can walk with you and take you where I need you to be because now you're, you're, you're broken, but you're filled with me. And maybe that's where you are right now. And so I'm going to ask you to stand and for prayer partners to be available up front here. Maybe today's a day of surrendering to him, a day of just saying, God, I... I'm, I'm done with the fight. I'm ready just to surrender to you. Maybe some of you are in the midst of it and say, God, I'm not leaving this place. I'm not leaving this church until you bless me. And I'm going to cry out to you, God, until you do that. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's in your personal struggles at work or, or whatever you're going through. God wants to meet you in this place. And he wants you to worship him as your God. And so our prayer partners are here to pray with anyone who needs prayer. Maybe today is a day you just need to surrender to the God who's been trying to get your attention for all these years, say, God, I get it. I'm here. And the reason you've been after me is because you love me. Today's your day to surrender to him. So let's sing and let's respond with our hearts as he leads.